0: Hey, peeps. This is Trish. I want to share something with you today. So back in the day when I was starting Spring OT, we had grown, we had some admin help, we had a therapist or two. And I had systems, let's put that in quotations, meaning I had like spreadsheets and Google Docs, and more spreadsheets and a few emails. And finally, my therapists and my team, very small team, begged me to do something all under one umbrella. No more duct tape systems, they said, Trish. Please, please get a real system. So what did you do, Trish? Well, Ashley, let me tell you. (laughs) I always talk about time being precious and needing to buy back our time, because we've only got two assets, we've got time as money and time is the most limited resource that we have. I'm on a mission to help OT entrepreneurs save that time, no more $10 tasks, so that you can use it for what really matters. And that is being the CEO of your company, who can implement your growth only you can do that. Agreed. So, yep. Yeah. I know, I know you believe in this. So when you have systems in place, everything just falls into line. That chaos that you feel turns into order. The duct tape goes away. And you know, you become clearer and have more control. So I want you, the listeners, to imagine what it would be like to have more time to pursue the ambitions and the mission and the impact that you wanna have as you grow your OT business instead of just drowning in all those routine tasks. So you turned all that chaos into order and <laughs> yep. you got a system in place yep. and not just, you know, papers and Excel and duct tape, but you got an EMR that exactly. brought everything together. That is exactly why I built Therabyte for OTs just like you who are growing your business. And I know that that's a past version and a current version of you as you step back into working a little bit with clients. So... Uh if you are still looking for that EMR to suit your needs, Therabyte is the EMR for OTs. So head over to therabyte.app to learn more about it. And if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, not only did I build the Therabyte, but I'm also guest coaching in Trish's program, Road to 100K, until the end of June.
1: We're so check that out
0: us- too. We're happy to have a systems expert in there. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome, Trish. Take care. Therabyte.app. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you wanna know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my forties, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret chain that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OT's making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome today to Lindsay Vestal, our guest today on season two, episode two of the OTs Get Paid podcast. Welcome, Lindsay.
1: Oh, Trish, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are so welcome. As I mentioned in the intro, you and I have communicated really only through social media. This is the first like live conversation we're having. It's true. There, there could be a whole world that
1: exists, an alternate reality, and you and I have lived that. <laughs>
0: Well, I have heard of your work before we ever, you know, slid into each other's DMs. I know my teens are rolling their eyes right now. And I feel really, really lucky that you're here because I feel like the listener today. It's kind of the best position for me to be in as the listener because I'm intrigued by your work. I'm impressed by your work. I... I'm curious about your work, and so these questions that I get to ask you, I feel as though I don't really even know the answers ahead of time, so I am just really excited to be able to crack open your business and learn more about the business and about you.
1: Well, I'm super lucky to be hosted by someone who is so full of curiosity, and I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, let's jump right in. So the first question, as you know, is, Lindsay, how do you get paid, meaning tell us about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I am an OT
1: entrepreneur who owns the Functional Pelvis, which is based in both New York City and Paris. And I opened my business in 2014, specializing in empowering pre and postnatal people, specifically all things pelvic health. My former OT pioneer student named Sonia sees our clients in New York City And she sees them via house calls as well as virtual sessions. And I also have an offering for the public, an online course called Kegels That Work. Now there's another arm to my business, which I began doing in 2018. And that's where I support other OTs in the pelvic health field through mentoring, online courses that are geared towards pelvic health. And my latest baby is that I'm about to announce my new course called Private Pay MBA, which empowers OTs to start their private pay
0: entrepreneurial businesses. When I heard that name, I just had full body experience. Like it's such (laughs) a great name because one of the things I'm constantly asked, and I'm sure you are as well, is... Do I need to go back to school? Do I need an MBA to do this? And your resounding answer, Lindsay, is (laughs) no, you just need (laughs) to be part of the MBA. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Before we dive in, I have to, like, I just have to go there. Like, come on, Paris and New York City, that is très chic. Très, très chic. How did that happen? Tell the listeners.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I went to grad school at NYU. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've been a longtime New Yorker and it was an amazing place to start a private practice. And this opportunity came along with my husband's work to move to Paris. And we were only supposed to go for a year. My kids were five and seven at the time. And, you know, my private practice with my contractor, Sonia, was going so well. I felt so comfortable going for this experience of a lifetime to go to Paris for a year throw my kids in French school and, you know, say la vie. And COVID had other plans for us. So we have now been here two years and it's been incredible because like I said, with the very first question you asked me, I have this incredible opportunity to not only support, continue to support the pre and postnatal community in New York City, but my sole focus, while I do see expats here, my real focus and my real attention by moving locations has given me this chance to truly put on the hat where I am only supporting other OTs. It was an incredible opportunity and I can't imagine if it was actually only a year long. There's, my mind just can't even fathom that now.
0: Mm-hmm. C'est un exemple parfait. It's an excellent example of what it takes and what you need to set up to step away from a bricks and mortar. I mean, I know you said that, you know, Sonia sees people telehealth and mobile, but I consider it to be still a, a, a business that's based in geography, right? Yeah, And exactly. did you have the systems in place to step away as Paris became an option or did you have to scramble and get some together?
1: A good question. There was a fair amount of scrambling to be completely honest. Yeah,
0: no, I love the honesty. I would same with me.
1: Yeah, and probably to this day, Sonia would tell you that we're still working things out. Yeah, because there's been so much evolution, right? It was purely a house-based mobile business, (laughs) then COVID, and then then Paris. Yep, then and went virtual, like totally virtual through the pandemic, and now it's a good mix. So we we really did have to scramble, but. It's one of those things where we have worked together for so long and have been in the same. So we were both in a pelvic floor study group together. So we've known each other for years prior to her coming on board. So we kind of know each other's quirks. And that flexibility and open-mindedness really helped us go through the bumps.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. And I think it's also like to concentrate on the top of the head of the pin is to oh, say that I want people to hearing this to know that, you need to start reverse engineering from early on, right? There will be, like, you never know. You never know what is going to happen. I mean, I always teach my students build to sell, right? And you need to have systems and you need to be working on your business and not in your business in order to do that. And people often think that's way down the line. And in your case, an opportunity came up and having some of those things in place and then hustling to get more in place allowed this transition for you. So for the people that are listening, understand that these are really practical reasons for why that's so important. Would you agree with that?
1: I I really would agree with that. And I think in the beginning, all you can think about is putting one foot in front of the other. So true. I, I, I totally respect that. I think then retrospectively when you're in the place that that maybe I'm at in my business where I can, I go, well, gosh, I actually had that split attention more than I thought that I did. And mm-hmm. I would be thanking my former self had I done that. So it's one of those things where, and you know, I, I know we're gonna talk a little bit about working in your business versus on your business. And I, I love that topic. It's one of those things where, like you talk about in another episode, you talk about reverse engineering, sort of like where you see your financials going. If you reverse engineer where you see your company's could be going or what you dream it could be. It gives you the opportunity to go back and put things into place that are going to increase the likelihood that you're going to get there,
0: right? Because the the odds and the percentage of getting there, if you don't envision it, are pretty, pretty, pretty low. I agree. One of my favorite sayings is what you focus on grows, where your attention goes, energy flows. I actually thought one day I would get a tattoo with that, but A, it's kind of not my style. B, it's kind (laughs) of long. And C, again, I had teenagers that super rolled their eyes. So, it's like man maybe I'll just get a little happy face <laughs> okay but I digress so let's talk about those dreams I want you to tell me about the income and the impact goals that you have now you have two companies so you can talk about both of them for this year and for down the road in five years Sure
1: sure so my goals are that in five years or less, OTs are household names, okay? Household names when it comes to pelvic health because traditionally, you know, this is a very PT dominated field and we are gonna change that. We are gonna change that. Other goals are that when OTs think of pelvic health training, I'm the go-to with a suite of offerings beyond my OT Pioneers introductory course. You know, this year I'm on track to double my growth and in the next three to five years, My goal is that it triples. And, you know, Trish, when I think of this question, very early on, what comes to mind is that I was always seeking occupational choice, okay? Mm -hmm. I knew, I I heard this elusive term, occupational balance, right? And I, I knew, I knew that as an entrepreneur with a very young family, my kids were two and zero when I started, that balance may not come by easily, but that occupational choice Could And what I mean by this is that I knew the impact that I wanted to make on my clients' lives, okay? I knew the flexibility that I craved in all of the areas of my life. I've been class parent every year for one of my kids since they started school. I have the ability to take time off with my family to explore Europe because French system is notorious for having lots of breaks and not feeling burnt out, right? Mm -hmm. And and my feeling is, what is the point of making money when you hate your life? So my goals continue to be to have occupational choice by intentionally creating the life that I want. And if you don't mind, I want to segue a little bit into paying yourself and how that continues to be a goal for me as well. Literally
0: one of my favorite topics, segue away. (laughs) I knew I was in good company.
1: (laughs) All of your podcasts. My support, Lindsay, go for it. (laughs) So having a private pay practice where I keep fixed expenses low positions me so that I, I can pay myself most of the revenue coming in, right? So top line numbers, comparison is not enough. For example, right? If you have a business, let's say, let's say they make 3 million in revenue, which sounds amazing, right? Your, your jaw is dropping, just hearing that number, but they have, I don't know, 2.8, 2.9 million in fixed expenses, right? How much does it cost
0: to make 3 mil? Yep.
1: Exactly. Right. Salary, overhead, benefits, real estate, right? Their fixed expenses are high. At the end of the day, while the business made 3 million last year, the take-home pay of the business owner is comparable to maybe what you made at your first job working at a hospital, but you've got more financial stress, you've got the obligation and a stressful lifestyle. Whereas the business I envisioned was something like let's let's just take a number and say revenue is 200,000 Take home because fixed expenses are low are 160,000, right? You make double what you made at the hospital. Uh, you have an amazing clientele base that you're proud to serve, time and energy to devote to your family and yourself outside of the practice because you're not working 90 hours a week. My focus continues to be having the second type of business. And so many people feel like they need to go big, right? But what are the things that come with this? And are you able to pay yourself out of the business? In the beginning, I didn't distinguish revenue. I was so focused on establishing my name and the mindset wasn't there. And as this developed, my focus was on ascertaining how I can make more impact while trying to prevent burnout because not all growth is good growth. And my goal in the end was to have a business and a life that I loved.
0: I totally agree. And I think that a lot of people don't think that's possible. I really mm-hmm. don't. So actually, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to ask two-part questions as <laughs> really a therapist, but definitely as a podcaster, but I, it's just a habit. I'm not going to break it anytime soon. So the two questions that come up to me are, do you have a set percentage of what you want take home and profit to be? You gave out, you know, numbers such as 200K to 160 Again, do you have a certain percentage that you always try to hit? And it can be for take-home or profit, or it can be you want to stay under 20% for ops costs. So that's number one question. And number two is give me some of those tips of how you get to that perfect, manageable, profitable business.
1: I don't have an ideal percentage, okay? But I would say that because I started off with this intention of never, never wanting to go big, but to really offer a preeminent service. For me, my goals, and I would say, so by my third year, I was able to break six figures.
0: And, and that's I was in like, the
1: pelvic health business? That's in the pelvic health business.
0: Yep. Hey, it's Trish. Now that I've got your attention, I wanted to tell you about something that we are really excited about here at OTs Get Paid. This month, we are kicking off our formal systemic organized, planned, woo referral program. With every referral of somebody that you bring to us that purchases one of our two signature programs, Road to 100K and 100K Club, we give you money. We're leaning into it, we're leaning into our brand, and we're going to get you paid. At this point, we are offering $400 for people who refer someone who enrolls in our 100K Club mastermind and $250 for somebody that enrolls in our road to 100k program. But we're not stopping there. Your referred member will also get access to a bonus Q&A Zoom call every month that we are doing just for new referred members with our coaches. It's going to be Q&A ask the coach anything. How are you going to do this? The best way to do this is to connect with us via email or through DMs. We're keeping it really simple for right now. And we're saying, hey, here's their deets. Do you want us to call them? Are they going to get in touch with us? And as long as you mention each other, we will connect you and let our system wheels spin and they will get their bonuses and you will get yours. And I want to remind you, we are a company with a mission. It is to bring more wealth to more female OT entrepreneurs because we know what women do with money. They use it to better their families, and they use it to better their communities. So, for every dollar that we generate here at OTS, get paid every year, we give away one percent of our gross income to Dress for Success, which is a charity, an organization that's dedicated to empowering women towards financial independence. I hate to use the term win-win-win. Somebody has a better one. Please let me know. But we don't want you to keep those benefits to yourself anymore. We want your referral partner to win. We want you to win, and of course, we have a social agenda here at OTS Get Paid. And I was
1: able—I mean, I my rates my rates are high, and I, yeah, I, so I want to get into that. I mean, I, it was it was preeminent service that I was offering, and yeah. I wasn't shy about that. Yeah. And so you know, with that, I was able to max out my four hundred one k each year up to the IRS max. Which is like I think fifty-two or fifty-three thousand for both employee and employer contribution, Mm -hmm. and for me, having that retirement was also like a very big goal for me to kind of have have that be there. So for me, it was constantly evaluating and and house calls in New York City were the most pragmatic way to do this because Mm -hmm. you know real estate in New York City. Let's not even Mm -hmm. go there. And I am able to offer a preeminent service. So for me, it was a no-brainer, right? For me, it was like, yes, I am going into my clients' homes. I am offering this for them and it's keeping my expenses. It is keeping my expenses low. So, and and that's just gotten easier and easier because now, you know, I, since everything is virtual for me, I don't even have to build in that downtime for travel, right? Yeah. So expenses are extremely low. And
0: tell me how you got there. You've talked about the preeminent service. You've talked about the high rates. Dive more into that for us. When you ask
1: me this question, what immediately comes into my mind is thinking about something you already mentioned, Trish, which is this thing of working in your business, then working on your business. The reason why is because I always think about this quote from Roosevelt. I think it's something like, there's two kinds of problems. the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important and the important are never urgent. Mm. (laughs) And there are so many ways to spend your time and your attention. And no way to please everyone at the same time. And this is something I've always struggled with. You know, I am a people pleaser at heart. And I think... Becoming this business owner that wanted low fixed expenses and wanted to keep things streamlined, right? Like I had to be okay with disappointing people by saying no. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I I told myself I'm not disappointing them by giving them bad advice or bad service or bad mentoring. It's a different type of a disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. But by being what I call like a guardian of my time, it helped me meet that life that I wanted. And I became very particular around evaluating what I was doing out of obligation versus things that will impact my business. And I will have to say that, you know, I'm trying to channel what I felt when I first started um, my business. But I will tell you that I actually, as a people pleaser, I felt those early years were actually easier for me because I didn't have to be a guardian of my time. I said yes to everything. I, I thought that. Opportunity. Everything was a promise. Oh my gosh, this collaboration, this workshop, this could go somewhere. Right. And now that I'm more of a, of a seasoned entrepreneur, I have to be so close about and guarded around my time that it's actually hard on me. And it still is hard on me. So even though I have this intentionality, it's really hard for me because I know how much every moment matters, you know. Um, and The other thing that has really helped me is something called, I call it
0: my not to-do list. So this is like me setting down. I love this. I'm writing it down. I'm like (laughs) seriously writing it down. (laughs) Okay, I'm leaning in. Keep going.
1: (laughs) So like in New York City, this meant I didn't book a client. When I wasn't in their neighborhood, which was really hard, because you know I was going everywhere. I was going Upper East Side, I was going Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, and if a client called me and and oh my God, it was a you know could have been my third client that week. I I I want to say yes, but come to find out they're on the opposite side of town. I wanted to say yes. Every fiber in my being wanted to say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So saying okay, I'm going to be in your neighborhood next Tuesday. How does three o'clock work for you? Right. Mm Nowadays it looks to for me like only taking on a small number of mentoring students in a season when I'm developing a new course, right? Mm-hmm. I don't put pressure on myself to reply to every every email when I wake up. I literally schedule times during the week or even the day to reply. One of the ways I got this idea of not putting pressure on myself to answer emails is actually when we moved to France, because I knew that I was six hours ahead of most people on the East Coast, and people were going to be seeing my email reply for at least another six hours anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I started waking up, not opening emails. And literally crossing off the big, hairy impact things, the things that at the end of the day, I would then circle back around and reply to emails. And when I saw that the world wasn't going to blow up, when I didn't reply, I said, like, why? Why wasn't I doing this when I was in New York City? And, you know, we forget that we get into entrepreneurship to be the master of our own ship. And changing things on the fly as we see fit, as we see inspired to do so, right, is totally within our control. And so many of us, including myself, would sort of sweat the small stuff and wouldn't allocate time where it could have been the most impactful. So always evaluating that difference between being busy versus making an impact. My goal now is to not be efficient. It's to be effective on critical things, right? So efficient would be crossing off as many things as I could on my to-do list. But I now, what I do is every day I task myself with being effective on three critical things. Oh my
0: gosh. I do too. I cannot uh wait to hear
1: what your three are. I do the exact same thing. What are they? So I said it the week before, because there's so many things that are moving and changing. Yeah. So for right now, my three today were to kick ass on your podcast today. Oh. So I hope I'm doing a good job
0: on that so far. Already. Um, I'll consider it done. <laughs> Check it off the list now and just settle back. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Hey. Um, my second one
1: is, so I'm an introvert at heart. I'm an introverted heart. And as much as I love showing up for my Facebook group weekly, as much as I love putting stuff out there... I have to collect the energy that it takes to do that. So I actually did like a grounding practice and I I planned that in, in my day. I had my husband pick up the kids because I wanted to feel really settled for our call today. So that was my second critical thing today. And then my third critical thing was to finish recording one of the the lessons in private pay MBA. So I I definitely did that as well.
0: How do you decide overall, what are the critical things? How do you know which of the minutiae to focus on versus other minutiae? Do you have a formula or a system?
1: So sometimes
0: I have to lean on my intuition for that
1: because the things that maybe I want to do first, I usually I'll rearrange and I'll say, you know what, that is usually me wanting to do the easy things first. So for instance, let's say, so I want to tackle the most difficult thing the first part of my day, right? So mo- most too. of us will look at a to-do list and say, okay, there's 12 items, right? And I'm going to do 11 of the easy things because yeah. we feel so accomplished. Oh my gosh, I, I, I just went through that list. I checked it all off. By the time we get to that 12th one, maybe that one that would have really moved the needle, we're exhausted. We're exhausted and we leave it for the next day. Right, But that would have been the one that would have made the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. So for an example of something, when I was in New York City, again, like I said, I'm, I'm an introvert and I would find it really overwhelming to talk to referring parties, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm putting myself back into my shoes when it was that first year and I was trying to build inroads. I would rather do all of the research on who I should meet, right? Like, where did they get their start? Where, you know, all of the things versus just like showing up to the actual meeting. So to motivate myself, and I I would keep putting this off, I would keep putting this off, which to me is a clear indication that it may need my attention. So to motivate myself to do this, I started writing down a list of where my clients came from and where they would go after me. This would be like an ideal scenario that I would imagine. And those people that I wrote down were the ones I decided I was gonna go ahead and call or email and make that appointment happen because thinking about them in this way as someone that would serve my client after me or was a touch point before me really inspired me. Like it made it meaningful. It made me want to go and meet them. And so I planned that. I planned that darn meeting the first thing in the morning. My day would go from there and it felt so much more inspiring because I got that big thing done.
0: I love that. I actually know that I, no matter what I try to do, I have a serious crash in the afternoons. So I always try to do my hardest things first. And I mean, it's such a subtle thing. I just find it so... Valuable, And I think at the end of the day, having that knowledge about how you show up, like you're saying for yourself, and also what, I, what you were alluding to that I'm not sure if the listeners heard was really an example specific to sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what season two is all about. So it's not just a segue I'm doing for the podcast sake, but it, you know that's legitimately you, what you were talking about. And so really understanding those categories yeah. of time spent in the best way to grow your business that are the most impactful for your business, such as sales and marketing. So I love the fact, and you really, you know, the other thing that I heard in there, and I'm not sure if the listeners heard, was the customer journey. So you got really clear on, you know, where your customer was coming from and when they, where they were going after. And that's where you decided to focus originally your, your marketing efforts.
1: I think it's very important that you know who your work is for Mm -hmm. and what some of the problems that I find with people, maybe in the beginning, or maybe people trying to go very big trying to cast a wide net is that they really struggle with their marketing plan because they wonder, who do I reach out to? Do I reach out to all the doctors? Do I reach out to all the fitness pros? Do I reach out to all referring parties? What do I say? You know, how do I go in and talk to them? How do they talk to the community about the services they offer? And, you know, it gets very muddled because we end up speaking in very generic language that doesn't resonate with people, and. I have a very funny, I'm going to just, if you don't mind, I'm going to quick segue to a funny story that's going to type this, which is there was this gentleman who created the best, the best bug killer ever. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was top of the line, very scientific, very cutting edge. And he was super excited to get this product to market. So, you know, he got deals with the big chains like Lowe's and Home Depot, and he just sat back and waited for these, these, the sales to roll in. Well, he had a pretty disappointing first quarter. And so, you know, he sent people out to do field research, right? So they would stand in the aisles. They would watch people buy the bug, bug killer of their choice. And, you know, the person would go up and say, well, hey, you know, like, why, why did you choose that bug killer? It did, wasn't the one that was the gentleman's. And they said, well, I have an ant problem. So I wanted to buy an ant pesticide. Same thing, right? Next person, oh, I have a roach problem. So I wanted to buy a roach killer, Right. So he labeled this as a bug killer. Well, these people weren't having a bug problem. They were having an ant problem. They were Mm -hmm. having a cockroach problem, right? So marketing, when we think of it this way, it becomes a very generic solution rather than a precise targeted one. So he rebranded and he kicked it out of the park by going specific. Mm -hmm. And I want OTs listening to this to consider getting big by going small by going niche, knowing who it's for, knowing what it is, right? Knowing who comes before, knowing who comes after is one example because marketing often fails because we just haven't gotten specific enough for who it's for and how it helps them. Now, marketing can't overcome a lousy service, right? And that's when marketing gets a bad name. But marketing at its most powerful is when you have a very targeted service, a very specific client, with a very specific problem, and you use that specific language to reach out
0: to them, and you become the preeminent person for what they need. I totally agree. And I often say, and I, I'm going to guess you feel the same way, I don't think OTs have a service problem.
1: Every time you talk about this on your podcast, I'm I'm clapping, literally. <laughs> Good. <laughs> seeing me at a cafe, they're like, what is wrong with her? Because you are 100% right. Yeah. OT. And I also completely agree with you that I have not met many lousy OTs. Mm-hmm. I mean, by a profession, our heart is 100% in the place that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But, but we have a very strong disconnect and I am 100% in this category with selling and marketing. Mm-hmm. And if we don't know sales and marketing, we
0: don't have a business. I we totally have a agree. I agree. So well said. So you talked about how marketing fails by not being targeted enough. I'm going to ask you a question that we hadn't prepared. I'm going to put you on the spot. How do sales fail, in your opinion?
1: Hmm. So sales is that next thing, right? So marketing is the outreach and then sales is that conversion, right? I mean, is that is that how you would define it?
0: Too, I say Trish? I say that marketing, what do I say again? Marketing is bringing people to your door and sales mm-hmm. is inviting them in. Yeah.
1: I think okay, I'm going to give an example of where I have seen this go wrong and this comes from this comes from my own life. This is something that I have done. So, we've converted them. They commit, right? We've let them in the door. We've opened them in with welcome open arms. And we make assumptions. We make assumptions that maybe our price is too high. We make assumptions that we can we can maybe let me give you an example. So does this, I'd love to know if this sounds familiar to any of your listeners. So, you know, I, I think we can just meet three more times, three or four more times, and, you know, we'll be able to, to help you meet your goals versus in the back of your mind, you're thinking an ideal plan could be six to eight sessions, six to 10 sessions. And this editing comes from sometimes unexplored issues, unexplored concerns, unexplored scripts around money. The problem is that we are taking away their autonomy. We are not giving them the chance to make that choice. Should they do three sessions? Should they do eight sessions? That is up to them. And I think we sometimes think we're doing them a favor. And, you know, the psychology at play is such that we don't actually realize that we're disempowering them. Couldn't agree more. Versus Our job, our obligation is to present to them our prices matter factly, the amount of treatment time that we think an ideal scenario would present, and we simply let them tell us if that's doable for them.
0: It's alive. Zombie. Monster invasion. The socks that live in my 20-year-old son's soccer kit. Nope. It's the OT Entrepreneur Summit Live! After hosting two online virtual summits in 2019 and 2020 with over 300 attendees, OT Entrepreneurs just like yourself, we are ready to break out from behind these screens and share some hugs and some in-person connection. We listened to our audience of the past two years and we heard OT entrepreneurs don't really want more content. We heard you loud and clear, and we are building the event of your dreams. An event that's based on rest, an event that's based on play, an event that's based on sun. Okay, maybe that was the Laura's of my dream. An event that's based on connection and time to work on your business. My co-host Laura Park Figueroa and I have created the space and all you need to do is show up, put yourself into the room, put yourself into that space to learn and grow and expand your OT business and as an OT entrepreneur CEO. Want to see which of your online OT business besties has legs? Me too. We will see you in Boca Raton, Florida on November 12th to November 14th, 2021. Go to the OT Entrepreneurs Summit page linked in our show notes to sign up for the waitlist and be the very first to hear when tickets go on sale. See you then. I love it. I've never used the words autonomy and empowerment, and I think it's brilliant. I always think that client-centeredness has almost taken us out of the sales game in a weird way. It almost... I don't know how else to say it, and I'm not sure you agree. I just think that all of the breadth of an OT and all of the creativity in an OT mind and coming up with five different ways of doing something, plus the client-centeredness we've been taught since day one can really equal a sales problem. And what I mean by that, I've told the story before, I'm not sure if I've told it on the podcast, is I had a client who I didn't know for a long, long time was um, a family physician. And I'm kind of grateful because I would still get kind of like choked up a little (laughs) with those kinds of parents. And I saw her daughter and it was time for us to see her son. And I remember giving her all these options because her daughter was on a school-based contract, which had a certain amount of hours to it. And then she paid us extra for private and her son was going to be totally private. So you're right. I I wasn't worried about my prices. And I want to talk more about that with you in a minute. I wasn't really concerned about my prices at that point, but I just felt like I was giving them too many options. Pardon me. That's not true. I felt like I was giving them many options from a process and a price Point of view, I always talk about promise processes and price. So, from a process point of view, we could do this many, we could do this frequency, we could do this intensity, we could do this duration. And, you know, we could give it to you at this price, but then this package and then this if we saw you in the park. But, and she finally looked at me and it was revolutionary. She said to me, just tell me what to do. You're the (laughs) expert. Mm -hmm. And at first, I thought that was super medically model y and very like physician y. That's not a word. I just made it up. But, you know, and then I was like, and this was just a parent that I just resonated with. You know those parents that you just yeah. to just get each other. Well, in my case, in Peds, it's parents, but clients. And I just looked at her and I literally was stopped dead in my tracks. And I said, "Okay, mm-hmm. in my professional opinion, ethically speaking, mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest this." And she goes, "Great. Do you? What do you think about that story?"
1: It's so funny because the range of emotions that you went through are exactly what I went through. Initially, I thought, okay, this is a client who's just used to being told what the answer is. And, you know, they're, they're a good little soldier that is going to follow the directions, you know? And we're always trying to encourage questions, empowerment, owning the information, right? Mm-hmm. But then the other part of me was like, She is respecting you for the expertise that you have. Mm -hmm. She's saying, I need guidance. I need help, Trish. Mm -hmm. And so I have never thought about it from that lens of that Mm client-centeredness actually being a bit of an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is is really interesting. I'm going to have to think a lot about that because, yes, while that model is incredibly important, it does need to be channeled in the right way.
0: The way that I would always preface it when I got to the sales part, and then I want to ask you about your sales. Uh, The way that I always said that was based on this assessment. And again, I was in Peds. it was a relatively straightforward system we had in place at my bricks and mortar, which was like, this is the assessment and here are the results. And then I would always say, I'm ethically bound to tell you what I think the course of intervention and treatment and assistance should be. However, there are other ways of doing these things. If you have three kids, if you have another kid that's trying out for the Olympics and you need to take them swimming 17 times a day, if you have five kids and you don't know how to get all of them in our waiting room, like, there, you know, I would say this is open for discussion. From an ethical point of view, I am always going to have your back. And sometimes, depending on the reaction of the parents, I would even say to them, once I got far more understanding of sales psychology, I would say, I don't want to offer you too many solutions and put you into overwhelm. Yeah. Because that's what happens. And uh-huh. I would say, so I'm going to tell, like, you, you can trust me. And I always felt like that, you know, really helped my servant's heart with like, I am legally responsible to a college. Yeah. I am being ethical when I tell you what I think the intervention should look like. Yeah. right. And it's also for discussion because I know money doesn't grow on trees. You've got lives, you've got jobs, you know, you've got commute times, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how I kind of always tried to balance it in a in a client-centered way and then would stop talking and then yeah. listen to the questions that would come up. And then I would know if they were like an oriented process detailed person or they were the kind of person that was like, just tell us what to do. Yeah, exactly. You've mentioned it a few times that you had a preeminent, pardon me, have a preeminent pelvic health on the ground business in New York City. How do you sell a preeminent price? <laughs> it's a, it's, that's, a, that's a
1: great question. You start off by designing the ideal treatment plan that you envision for your client. So for me, I had worked in various outpatient settings, hospital-based systems doing pelvic health, and I always saw the loopholes. I always saw how we could do better. Yeah, me too. And, you know, for a very quick example, one of the places where I got my start, they wouldn't allow children. <laughs> they wouldn't allow children in the treatment room. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, what a missed opportunity. First of yeah. all, what an incredible disservice, right? Out of convenience and all of the other ways you could think about, but, but, what a missed opportunity! Because with our with our mobile practice, you know, we're using we're using in our pre and postnatal population, we're using the children and all of the various accoutrements as part of therapy, right? So right from the get go, I right, I was always noticing things that would put the client at a significant disadvantage, and so I think really imagining, you know, knowing knowing what you're offering, really imagining how, in every way you could give the client the most easeful, optimal experience from the moment they call you to the second they get your paperwork to the day you discharge. And really spending time with thinking through all of your customer service experiences. This could be at the cafe that you went to last month to the time when you bought sneakers. I don't care what it was, but I'm just one of those weird geeky people that just like always looks at the meta of that kind of stuff. I'm always me sort too. of like this part of me is like, like my husband just went to the dentist today and like, they didn't give him the paperwork. And I'm just sort of thinking, this is the best dentist, like an amazing experience, but everything about the front desk. Completely changed his opinion. He left with the that
0: most power. Do you also ask questions of people in their businesses? Like, if I I know that at our dentist, it's the dentist's husband who is the front desk, and his wife is our dentist. And I'm constantly saying to him, "So Ken, what are, you know? What are your biggest sellers outside of like yes. outside of like you know cleaning? Like, what are the biggest procedures that you're doing? What are the things that you guys sell on the side? What are your profit margins for that?" I'm just so curious because again, they are, they are selling. Yeah. Do you? Uh, Yeah. I've heard you talk about that, about your hairdresser too. And I remember being like, oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm getting, I can't believe I'm repeating myself after only like 15 or 16 episodes. That's going to have to go somewhere else.
1: (laughs) For people who don't know you and listen to you, like we think we know you. So I'm like, thank you. (laughs) I'm just saying that because I heard your podcast. So, you know, it's one of those things where I just, I, that that is so intriguing to me. It's yeah, me so too. intriguing, even if it's not a model or a, you know, a, a product or a service that I will ever get into. I'm just one of those people that love to break apart those things and then just mm. sit and think about how it's applicable to my business. Right. And so I never wanted to be a commodity service. I never wanted to be, you know, the McDonald's of occupational therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, in the beginning would very much raise my OT flag and tell everybody that they needed to see me because I was an OT. Right. And that somehow they knew I was different because I was an OT. Mm -hmm. That was a rough year.
0: That was a rough year because who knows what OTs are. Exactly. Selling OT is not the solution. Right? in my opinion. And I'm hearing it from you too.
1: Yeah. And I, I know I have, I've heard a lot of different opinions on this, you know, that our, our profession won't grow and move forward if we don't sort of own that name. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I think it will because people will get to know you by the service you offer, not mm-hmm. by your credentials Exactly. and boots on the ground. If you want to bring home money to put food on the table, people want results. And they're going to get results by not belaboring what the script says and what your profession is. And so I morphed a lot that first year in telling people what I did and how I did it. And so I think that's also part of it is thinking about those things that maybe for you and your heart matter and mean a lot. And I really, really am proud to be, to be that OT from the very beginning. But I quickly distinguished where to spend that energy on where it mattered. And like, to my client, that didn't matter.
0: Yeah, I agree. So does that specificity then help you sell at a higher price point?
1: It does because I figured out, just like I figured out what my not-to-do list was, Mm -hmm. which helped me figure out what I need to do. Figuring out that what my credentials were didn't matter helped me focus more on what really did matter, Mm -hmm. which was service that I was going to and the experience that I was going to provide for my client. And I think the other thing that really helped me was confronting my money
0: mindset issues. Because I, yeah, I have tell them. Yeah, tell me
1: more. I mean, this could be an entire podcast. Yeah, I, I on this mean, platform.
0: I agree. Yeah, exactly.
1: But I think, I think there's probably like three money mindset issues that I would love to talk about. And this is fresh on my mind because this is literally what I recorded today. <laughs> this oh, was my- Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Lay it on us. All right. So here, the first one I want to talk about is this. There is a market for every price, okay? If you have what I, when this is one of my core tenants, if you have an abundance mindset, all right, you fundamentally have to believe this. Healthcare providers, because of the insurance paradigm, because private pay is not as well known, they think that we need to compete on insurance prices. But if you look at the economy as a whole, okay, there is a market for every product for every price, right? You could buy toenail clippers for a buck 99, or you could buy buffered gold plated ones for 500 bucks, right? And this may not be your market, but it's somebody's market. And so what is the value you are providing? Because that. That is what people are going to make their decisions on. And what is the level of service and the amount of value that you have to provide for people to walk away and say, I would gladly have paid double for that service. Mm-hmm. People spend so much time focusing on what to charge. I mean, that's, that's the number one question. That is the yeah. number one question that I get for my students, right? Sometimes I think I'm skirting the issue, mm-hmm. but I'm really not. And we, we get there in the end because I basically say, we stop focusing on what to charge and we have to focus more on what is going to differentiate you from a commodity OT service. And we need to get clear on what that offering was. This was a huge hang up for me and for me personally. And once I changed that focus on the value I brought, everything shifted for me. Mm-hmm. And defining myself as that preeminent service that my clients walked away from saying to people, you know, she's expensive, functional pelvis, Lindsay, she's expensive, but she is so worth it.
0: Yeah. I for totally me, that agree. Was my- that's a hundred percent. That's exactly, you've put it into words exactly how I feel.
1: Okay. So that's number one, right? Like that, that there is literally, there is literally a, a market for any price. Okay. Yeah. Number two, selling as a service. Okay, I, I felt really icky about selling my first few years. So this one that I spend a lot of time really breaking down for for my course is it really hit home for me, okay? So I do these exercises in Private Pay MBA where I have my students imagine themselves talking to their former 24-year-old self for an hour. I hope people taking my course are over 24. So when they get this, they're not like- um, <laughs> It's not future angry. casting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly.
1: Okay. So imagine your former 24-year-old self and you literally have an hour with her. Okay. And I'm going to give you two weeks to prepare to whatever information you want to give your former self. All right. Now, this is, I'm obviously giving you an abbreviated version of this exercise. Then I have them imagine that this old self didn't hear it. Okay. They just ignored the message. They, they just, they just tuned it out. This makes most of us feel pretty horrible, right? To imagine this. So we talk about why this is. When we approach an interaction with our old self, when you're doing this from a place of service to your old self and you have something so incredibly valuable you thought about this for two weeks, you've crystallized down every single thing they need to know, every lesson they've learned so their former self doesn't go through whatever you prioritize, right? This is the ultimate, the ultimate act of service. If this is information they don't have, their life will be impacted. So when you don't get the attention of this former self, you wouldn't be able to serve them. So think about that. If you didn't get the attention of your former self, you wouldn't be able to serve them. So let's not think about marketing as some sleazy thing. If you have a service that is incredibly valuable, if you can help someone, if you can help that former self, right, it's a moral obligation, right, to ensure that we're getting that person's attention, that right person's attention, because it is the only way that we can help them. If they don't know about you, if they're not paying attention to you, if they don't know about your product and services, there is no way you're going to help them. So if we can approach this, right, through this mental attitude of service, not marketing, not sales, but of providing something substantial, real value to the other person, I think it shifts everything, right? And so like, there's some questions that we have to kind of back up and ask ourselves, right? Number one, do you think you can help people? Really, really fundamentally, do you think you can get people better? Whatever specialty you're in, do you fundamentally think you can help people? Okay, You have to be able to answer that question for yourself. And I'm sure every single person listening on this podcast will in their heart say a resounding yes, okay? Second question, aren't these people struggling? Aren't they struggling with this thing that you have this unique gift to be able to help them with? And isn't it true that if you don't help them, they're gonna continue to struggle? Sure, they may go somewhere else, but if that someone doesn't help them, They're gonna continue to struggle. And for some of these people, the struggle can become this consuming thing for their entire life. They're not doing the exercise they wanted to do. They're not having the relationships they wanna have, but you can help them. And in fact, you're doing a disservice to them by not letting them know that you can help, okay? So this is the mental attitude that I use to approach marketing. It's thinking about it as sales as an act of service It's my obligation that I know my stuff, that I can help people, but I can't help people if they don't know about me. The more people that know about me, the more I can help, the more service I can be. So, so Trish, this shift in mindset was incredibly powerful for me because I call it like my superpower when it comes to marketing and sales, because I now can distance myself from that sleazy connotation
0: because it's coming from this positive place of service. Thank you for saying that. I, again, totally agree. I think I should just have a button that I hit and go, I agree, I agree, I agree. (laughs) So much is resonating. I would like to add something. I have spent a lot of time outside the world of OT looking at how to get better at marketing, how to get better at sales, even the things that I have purchased because I've purchased coaching outside of the world of OT. And I will say that there are experts out there who talk about this, who talk about being able to change lives and being able to transform and being able to have a service. It's a moral obligation to help. And I get a funny feeling because they are talking to people who sell tarot cards. For example, I'm not knocking tarot cards. I'm just saying that it's not as evidence-based as what we do. Or people that sell I always say widgets, you know, and that's where I feel, and I think this is the right place to say this point, is that OTs should be the best salespeople in the world. Because there's people out there that truly, truly feel in their heart, and gosh, should I have even chosen a a real example? Because now I feel bad for the tarot people, but like, you know, this is science, This is evidence-based practice. This is holistic. This is client-centered. In my opinion, when others are telling people to, you know, it's a moral obligation to change people's lives with the button or the shoelace or the tarot card or the widget, I feel that we naturally have a leg up on that because we have the ability to use science and art and our profession and our education to be the best of that point. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And the thing is we aren't having to sell ourselves on the fact that we're changing lives. So yeah. not to knock the widget person, not to knock the cell phone case person who invented the cool thing that I put all my credit oh, cards the in the pop socket.
0: Back. I know. I like, love that. Pop socket. Oh, I'm thinking the thing that you put on the back to like hold your phone. What are you, oh, are you talking uh, about the one where you put your cards? Yeah, but both. Oh yeah, my both. daughter has one of those. Yep.
1: Right. Amazing. Uh, Incredible intentions. Right. I don't even have a person because it's like my phone. Right. So, so not to knock that, that person changed my life. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, The thing is, (laughs) it can't compare to every single person listening to this podcast who has changed a life right yeah, I agree. to that person who now like that parent can age in place at home to that person who my client can now you know have pain-free intimacy with their partner right. to the person who can now sit through the opera because she doesn't have to pee every 2 hours i mean we have literally changed lives so mm-hmm. when i think about this the ot's need to own this mm-hmm. this is 100% we know we change lives we know we change lives so we need to Channel that into how can we change more lives? We can change more lives by letting people know about our services, and we do that through this thing called sales and marketing. Yeah,
0: I agree, and I can hear the passion in your voice, and I feel it too. Absolutely. So, what's point number three? Okay,
1: point number three. It might be a little controversial, but That's it's okay. something that I,
0: I the controversy. Okay, good.
1: It's something I feel <laughs> really strongly about, and it, it it impacted me. So maybe this won't resonate with everyone, but I really think that there's this, like this conflict between being in healthcare and making money.
0: Do you, do you feel that way? The podcast is called OTs Get Paid. I mean, literally that's the whole brand. (laughs) Yes. And do you know how scary it is to promote that? Do you know how scary it is? Because I get people that drop into my DMs or I get people that drop into the Facebook group and they challenge me on that, like to my face. And I also get a little bit of, well, you don't understand because you're Canadian and you guys have free healthcare. So my goodness, like that is truly the pinnacle of this brand. And I have just decided that I'm not going to be scared to talk about it. And I've just decided that I'm going to bring my voice to the matter. Maybe it's because I am Canadian or maybe it's because I am 50 or maybe it's because I'm outspoken or maybe it's because passion drives me. So, so, so true. And you know what I will say before I let you take over... I did the Enneagram. Do you have your Enneagram results? Are you an Enneagram person? I've never done it, Trish. I've never done it. Okay. So I did it. It's kind of like a short Myers-Briggs. And I am 2-3, which means two is helper and a three is an achiever. And I felt so blessed by that Enneagram because I felt like it almost gave me more credibility to be able to talk <laughs> About this, about how you're not a charity, you're a helper. You should also get paid. That's the two. Like, I'm like a hundred. I'm a helper. Like, so I feel like it gives me even more credibility to say, listen, guys. Shrug. I'm an enneagram too. I'm a helper, and then the three allows me to say, but dot 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 dot. So uh, yeah, this is my favorite topic. So keep going. Tell me, tell me your opinions. Tell me your thoughts. Well.
1: I remember the first time I, I got confronted with this, it was probably my first six months in business. And I was meeting with a midwife and telling her about my services. And, you know, she asked me my rates. And at this point, they were much, much lower than they are now. And she just looked at me and she goes, oh, so you only want to help the rich. Mm-hmm. And I felt so horrible. I mean, I just felt like I had fallen face first on pavement. I realized I had so many things to unearth in myself to number one, know how to respond. Number two, understand how, what I was feeling. Why was I getting red in the face? Like, why was I sweating? Like, what were these, these feelings that I hadn't stopped to consider? That's what started that whole process for me for really investigating how I felt about money and my relationship with money. Because as a private pay practitioner, this is going to come up over and over and over again, along with the question, why don't you take insurance? So there's an entire lesson in my course about really confronting these two things and being really clear and it's not comfortable. It's not always comfortable. But I think that if private pay is for you, you need to be able to get a response like that. You need to be able—excuse me. You need to be able to get a question like that, and you need to know and recognize what feelings it's stirring up in you and why they're being stirred up. So, what would your um, quick response be to that person, Lindsay? Now. Mm-hmm. I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. That pelvic health, pelvic health is for everybody and my prices are lined up with the value that I'm providing. And here's the thing. I actually do offer pro bono services and I have sliding scale slots because I truly believe that in addition to being able to care for my family, I want to be able to offer these services to everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think great answer and very succinct. And I know people are writing this down or they're going to listen to this a few times over to really solidify that answer in their hearts. And, you know, please go back to episode, I think it's three, where I talk about the Ascension model, because that, again, really gives me a full heart. You know, this, for example, this podcast, this podcast is you know, a free service to people for my now ideal client, which is OT entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling businesses. And I have lots of things that are on the lower end of my Ascension model. And I unapologetically have things that are on the top end because exactly that. Like I I think almost too by modeling it and by saying, yeah, you know, my VIP day is three grand, but it's going to change your life. I actually had a client uh, maybe about a month ago who said that, My CEO payday was as powerful as her wedding day. Oh my gosh. And I went, come on, like even I didn't believe that one. Right. I was like, (laughs) I know I have really good value and I know I give good service, but I mean, that's the kind of feedback you want, right? And that's the kind of value and the resonation that you hope to bring to people. And I agree. I mean, you have to make a certain amount of money in order to then give back. So People don't know that on my strategic plan, I have a certain percentage that I give away every year, but I couldn't have set that as a goal in my first year. Of course. And, you know, one, I haven't talked actually, I don't think I've talked about this, but my, one of my goals, not for this year, but down the road, is to actually have other OTs contr- and I'll build it to like a Kickstarter for OTs, for private paid uh-huh. businesses. So we make enough money that we can invest in other OT businesses. And I think. The kind of retort that the midwife gave you is almost short-sighted because people, people don't know what's coming up. People don't know what you're planning to do. I mean, I know that I spend a lot of money educating my children. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, don't apologize for that. I actually think that's like one of my main responsibilities.
1: Um, well, and so you know, I also come at it too from from an abundance mindset. Yeah. So so one of the things that, you know, I was really proud of in New York City is, number one, I started a pelvic floor play group, study group, and it, it was comprised of other pelvic floor PTs. Right, it was comprised of childbirth educators, fitness professionals, anyone that was interested in the pelvic floor, and we would meet monthly. And most of the times, you would have competitors there of each other. Absolutely. And by bringing people in the same room, you you got to learn styles, right? So, for instance, CrossFit's not my thing. Well, there was a pelvic floor PT that that was her that was her bread and butter. So I was able to. Refer to her when it was appropriate because it was my client was going to get their needs met. And I think this sort of, this this really challenged people's perception of how to stay in the same space and be friends and actually grow an even stronger community because no one else was doing this at the time. And that just felt really right to me because again, I was putting my client first. So part of the preeminent strategy is not only examining you know the experience from top to bottom, but it's evaluating the community that is around you that can ultimately provide service in all capacities, right? You're referring parties, competitors, you name it, and so that was something that I had done. And then, in addition to that abundance mindset, is giving things away, right? So not just the pro bono, not just the sliding scale, but I mean, every week I have an OTS for Public Floor Facebook group. I have now you have, have your over power four- hour. Empower hour, 40, yeah. I'm up forty seven episodes. So yeah. every week I show up since August and I'm just giving away case studies you know you know diagnosis dives business strategies right I came up with you know I talked earlier about getting really specific with your audience so when I finally came to that I developed a 16-page guide for your core and pelvic floor your first 6 weeks postpartum this was a hyper specific guide meant just for those first 6 weeks when women were not sure which way was up it was too early to go to their doctor it was too early to start OT. And so like, this was stuff that it was this beautiful laminated 16 page guy that I was just giving away. I was just giving away. And when you have this generosity of spirit, right, it becomes very attractive to not only your clients, but to people that want to be around you and you bring it out in them right? And so it's the scarcity mindset and this fear-based thing of maybe a little bit of what that midwife said, like who knows what, what she was coming to the story mm-hmm. with, what mindset, mm-hmm. the money baggage she had. But I think when you sort of are at peace and at ease with the decisions that you make along the way, and that does mean digging underneath and getting a little bit uncomfortable with some of those scripts that we have conscious and unconscious, that's when we can start showing up and being really proud. And I mean, I personally felt that expansion when I was
0: able to do that work yeah I totally agree with you so well said Lindsay so well said I would like to segue into wrapping things up if you're okay with that by starting to ask the rapid fire questions that we typically have at the end how does that sound
1: so you know I've listened to a lot of your podcast and there was one question I was really hoping you were going to ask oh, shoot. okay which one I was hoping to, about if you were going to ask me about my
0: fist on the moment table. Oh yeah. Fist on the table moment. Go for it. It's way at the beginning and I skipped it because we were going down a different path of goals. Okay, Lindsay, here we go. Ready? Lindsay, tell me about the fist on the table moment that made you say, darn it, there's got to be a better way.
1: I never thought you'd ask me. <laughs> So for me, it was more of a journal slamming on the table moment. Oh, nice, nice, nice here's how it went. So I already knew I wanted to be in pelvic health when I got to NYU for grad school. And we had this emerging practice area lab and we had to do this project. And I told my professor, I want to do something on pelvic health. Right. And she's like, she looked me in the eye and she said, but OTs don't do this. Mm -hmm. And I felt so much heat rising in my body. I mean, I literally probably look like one of those cartoon characters with steam coming out of your head, you know, (laughs) I, I mean, I like, I just, I was flabbergasted and I literally just looked at her and I said, not yet. Yeah. And I went home and I felt so guilty for being so like, I, I, to me, it was defiant. Like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, I can't, I said that to her, but I, I was so caught off guard, right. That Mm -hmm. that's like, that's all I could say. So as fate would have it, I, I got my latest edition of OT practice in the mail that day. Okay. And the cover story was O.T.'s role with incontinence.
0: Nice. So I
1: stopped, guilty. I stopped feeling guilty. And I went into her office the next day and I tossed the journal on her table. Oh, it's
0: like a scene of a movie.
1: Right? And she let me do the project. Now, I probably, it didn't happen this dramatically. Like in my head, I think I've like probably really inflated Completely. this. Like, I,
0: You know, like I probably- In your like head, slipped. you stormed in and you swung the door open. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Like I know I've recreated this 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 superhero story in my brain. And you said, right. listen
0: here, lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wait till you see the future.
0: Wait um, until I take you to the future.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So but the essence of the story you know, is that this was a key moment for me because like I never thought I was destined for entrepreneurship. It just wasn't, you know, my dad had a stable job at IBM for 40 years. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't something that my family ever talked about. I wasn't around entrepreneurs, but it turns out that it's really great for my personality because quite frankly, I don't like being told what to do. Mm -hmm. if if someone had come in and like said like okay like you you know you're gonna feel held down in traditional business you know you'd like to take risks uh you don't mind making mistakes like in fact you kind of think that's the only way like that would have been really life-changing for me you know and I think once you direct your energy into the right channel you actually can stand back and see how amazing knows knows that you get throughout your life actually become defining moments for you.
0: Okay. So what you don't know is that the podcast I'm recording this afternoon, which is season one, episode 14, that's literally the intro. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad. See universe, universe, universe. Yep. I totally agree. Journal in the mail, you know, it's just. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad we went back to that question. I'm so glad. Thank you, Lindsay. So let's hit the rapid fire questions at the end. Lindsay, what is your biggest personal splurge?
1: traveling uh, yes. we weren't big travelers when I was in the states but now that we're in Europe definitely traveling also we hire a French tutor for my kids my husband or I speak French and we've put them in French schools and it's it's been
0: it's been tough it's been tough so we set aside money every single week for tutoring I love it how about business related what's your biggest business related splurge from a I self-proclaimed a- entrepreneur who keeps a tab very closely on profit with low overhead Like, I mean, that's the thing. I don't think I have a splurge. I'm being sincere. I believe you. It it is so tight. (laughs) Great. I love it. I think that's a perfect question. Perfect answer. Where do you have paid or unpaid help in your life and in the business?
1: So Sonia, who's our OT in New York City, is paid. More recently, I've hired a content editor who really mines through my coursework. Uh, and just has an incredible eye for detail. And we
0: have a house cleaner. Yes. I love all of that. If I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures into your business right now, Lindsay, what would you spend it on? Okay. I love this question.
1: So (laughs) I would get an RV and I would trick it out. I would totally trick it out. I would put professional logos and like, you know, whatever skin or whatever, like bulletin boards plastered all around the sides, and I would tour university campuses that have OT programs, bringing awareness to OT's amazing role in pelvic health. I would have, like, fun-free live events, and I would fill it forward for all of those campuses that have professors that say, OT's don't do this.
0: Dang, that's a full-circle moment. (laughs) You see why you had to ask me that question? I know, now I know why I had to ask you. (laughs) I totally see it now. It's so great. (laughs) So we're going to link to the show notes about your, you know, your social handles. I know that you have Private Pay MBA coming up. How do people learn more about Private Pay MBA, Lindsay?
1: Just go to www.privatepaymba.com.
0: Okay, perfect. We will put that in the show notes as well. So you know I wanted to end on your the, the concept you've brought forth a few times and that is that theory of abundance and I want people to understand that how it works in this podcast episode. So Lindsay and I in some worlds would be competitors uh, OTS get paid has a you know course group coaching that's coming out in the winter of 2022 and we are so lucky that we share an abundance mindset. If we didn't, if I didn't have peace, as Lindsay said, or ease about bringing Lindsay forth, and if I thought in scarcity mindset and thought that Lindsay was a competitor for what I might be doing or what might be coming, we would miss this conversation. And I know just from our exchanges on IG and from our conversation today, Lindsay, that you and I will be business buddies and friends I can predict our future. I'm looking, I'm future forecasting. And, you know, how much value that this brought to people that are listening. And so I wanted to end, not like, please, this is not a like highlight Trish's like, you know, abundant mindset, but more to say that please see that in action because Lindsay and I would have missed having this great connection and the listener would have missed hearing this. And, you know, we are all raising each other up in the OT entrepreneur space. And I think this conversation was an example of that. So thank you so much for coming.
1: I I love that. And I just want to add to that by saying that part of preeminent service is also realizing when perhaps your client or your student has a better fit somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So the more I learn about you, Trish, and the more I know about your offering, as I go through the process of recruiting for Private Pay MBA and offering it to students, if their match, intuitively, I know is better with something that you're offering, right? This is the kind of situation where I am, I'm going to full-heartedly offer them and introduce them to you. Because at the end of the day, the best preeminent service is the one when it feels right to the client and it feels right to the practitioner. Mm -hmm. And that's when you don't feel icky about selling because you're Mm -hmm. truly selling to people that you know it's going to make a difference to. And if I have that doubt, and I think that someone else in the field is a better match, that absolutely
0: feeds into that. What a lovely note to end on. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time.